we all have something to learn, every single one of us, right? And I am charged by the fact that when you look at the data, the millennials and the Gen Zs that are coming in to the workplace now, the millennials that are there, they're asking, why haven't you solved for inclusion? Mm -hmm. Like, what is wrong with you people? (laughs) (laughs) Why haven't you done this? And they have the courage to say that I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the things that will compromise my authenticity. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. This podcast focuses on exemplary leadership, the type of leadership that brings about positive, meaningful change in places that matter. We explore how these leaders make things happen and the lessons they learned along the way. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. Wow. I just listened again to my conversation with Trudy Bourgeois. And once again, I'm touched to my core as I hear her passion and absolute alignment around her calling, her work around diversity and inclusion. Prior to launching the Center for Workforce Excellence, which is the diversity company that Trudy formed almost 20 years ago, Trudy was an executive in a Fortune 500 consumer products organization, and you can hear her business pragmatism coming through loud and clear in this interview. In preparation for the interview, I read Trudy's latest book. She's got several books, but I read her latest one called Equality, Courageous Conversations About Women, Men, and Race to Spark a Diversity and Inclusion Breakthrough. This is a fantastic book. At the end of every chapter, there are a list of questions to consider and found them very helpful and very pragmatic. So I hope that you will pick up her book. I will put a link to the book in the show notes as well as other notes from our conversation. Here's what else to pay attention to as you listen to the episode today. First of all, where she sees hope for the changing landscape in terms of equity in organizations. Second, listen to Trudy's perspective on how to own the value that you bring to your organization so that you can speak with authenticity and with power. This is particularly for women of color and women in general. And then number three, the role of white and black women in moving the equity conversation forward. So good afternoon, Trudy. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Leanne. And before we dig in, I'm curious about what else it would be good for us to know about you that would give more context. And I'm actually thinking about your beautiful name, Trudy Bourgeois. (laughs) It's such a great name. And I'm curious where that name comes from and if that might lead us to to tell a little bit about you. Oh, thank you so much. That's great. I think I I love the name too. I've had it, as I said, for 40 years. I think I'm going to keep it. But, (laughs) But it is a French name. And my husband's family migrated from France to Canada to Louisiana. 
And on my side, my family, I grew up in Alabama. My father's side came through the islands. And then my grandmother was the product of a slave and a slave master. And so we're Creoles. And, you know, when you hear bourgeois, if you go down to New Orleans or anywhere like that, it's just like Smith. (laughs) And if you go to Paris and you open up the phone book, you see like bourgeois, like it's like, you know, anything else that would be here in, in America. But it is a great way to probably share a little bit more about me and who I am. You know, we have been in business the Center for for Seconds for almost 20 years now. And I have to say that this dream of equality, it chose me. I don't think I chose it (laughs) because, you know, I was born in 1959 and I was born into segregation. I was a part of desegregation. I lived through Jim Crow. And so from the very early stages of my life as a kid, I knew very intimately the pain of exclusion and inequities. And then after I got married, we had our first child and our first child was born with Down syndrome. And then that was another layer of, wow, I need to fight for people who have disabilities. And it really speaks volumes to what you said about while our work is in corporate America, it definitely bleeds over to society because corporate America is nothing more than a reflection of society, right? So then we had our second child, and we honestly didn't think we were going to be able to have any more kids. We had Mary Ellen, and Mary Ellen is now 34, and she's married. She married a Caucasian gentleman who we love, and they gave us our first grandbaby last year, and her name is Grace Elizabeth Brintz. And now I, you know, fight for her rights as a woman and as a biracial woman. And so, you know, to... A lot of people, this is a body of work, and and it is a body of work. But for me, it's more of my ministry. But my truth also is, Leanne, that when I first started my business 20 years ago, I didn't want to have anything to do with diversity. And the words equality, equity, and inclusion, they weren't even there. And it was because it was all rhetoric. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it wasn't rooted in any any measurements. It wasn't rooted in accountability. And I was a sales manager. I spent 18 years in sales and marketing. And so I didn't like the fact that there wasn't any accountability. I wanted to fight for equity and equality, but I did not want to be a part of anything that was just window dressing. Mm -hmm. And so for several years, I really struggled. I didn't want to do this work. But then as God would have it, Every way I turned, (laughs) that root seed from the beginning as a child, you know, growing up in Mobile, Alabama, it came to be. And so I just, the passion has grown and it grows more intense every single day. You know, when I speak with you, there is so much integrity and alignment. It just feels like who you are. It's not like a conversation or a topic that you're talking about. It's you and what you care about and what you feel. And I, that's probably why, as I say your name to people, people have such great things to say about you because you're so in alignment with your mission. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate the compliments. It is a labor of love. You know, it's not easy work. I can tell you that. I mean, it's honestly the hardest work I've ever done in my life. Because putting together a multi-million dollar or billion dollar deals was complex and 
boy, it was laden with all kinds of challenges, but it was numbers, it was products, it was services. This is souls. This is mm. beliefs. This is values. This is the way that you see the world and it's character related. And so it's not a head exercise. It's a heart exercise. And so it makes people extremely uncomfortable because who wants to think of themselves as a racist? Well, nobody or bigot or whatever. And most people are not those things at all. They're just in the bubble. Their life has not ever been touched. And so, you know, when you start talking about things like unconscious bias or microaggressions or, you know, equity or equality for women or people of color in the workplace, they're like, what are you talking about? And so it's, it's difficult work, but it's work that you have to have a love for. Otherwise, it can chew you up and spit you out. <laughs> I'm wondering, Trudy, with the most recent events, so we've had a whopper of a 2020, mm -hmm. and particularly toward the end of the spring with the killing of George Floyd, and then, then we look back and there's Brianna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, and then we could just, the list goes on and on. Right. And I'm wondering what you're seeing in the corporate world that's reflecting a positive movement, mm -hmm. whether it was because of these events, or maybe they were already on the path, but I'm kind of looking for what's giving you hope and where are you liking what you're seeing? That's such a great question because, you know, whether we're talking about, you know, Ahmad or George or, or any of them, it's been going on for hundreds of years. Okay. This is not new. What is new is that through the power of a smartphone, people had an emotional connection, mm -hmm. like they, their consciousness was touched. And I think that organizations would say, many of them, that they were on the journey. I would humbly submit that they might have been on the journey, they hadn't gone very far. <laughs> <laughs> Because so many of them would say, you know, it's a business imperative. I don't know, as a former line manager, I don't know what business imperative would go unresolved for 50 years and people would keep their jobs. I just don't know. But So like you're not buying any talk there was before about this is a business imperative because there hasn't been enough progress mm -mm. to say that it really was. No, absolutely not. And and so I actually, in my writings, I, I call for organizations before this happened to, to stop saying it. Stop that. That is dishonest. It's disingenuous. It's not authentic. Now, what has been happening over the years of, let's say, the last 10 years is that as the workforce has changed and continues to experience dramatic changes, organizations have found themselves in a precarious situation. Because corporate America is a reflection of society, everything that's in society comes inside the walls. And even though we're in a virtual situation right now, the attitudes are still there. So there's polarization that is happening. And, you know, in the last couple of years, you saw people like Tim Ryan with PwC, and you saw Jamie Dimon with J.P. Morgan Chase, you know, working with ELC, the Executive Leadership Council. You saw a little bit of an accelerant 
starting to happen. And then the George Floyd murders caused enough of a stir that the awakening was so loud that the companies had to embrace their responsibility for being a part of either the problem or the solution. And so what gives me hope now is that people are becoming more transparent with their numbers, okay? It's not like you need the data to know that you know, your entire C-suite is white, but now at least they're touching their truth. And I fundamentally believe that you cannot fix a problem that you don't understand, and you can't understand it if you don't touch your brutal truth. The brutal truth. Right. Yes. Is that part of what you do is help people get in touch with the brutal truth? Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I, I am known as the truth teller. And honestly, I don't take on cases. We don't take on clients unless they are willing to touch the brutal truth because I can't help you. Mm-hmm. My organization cannot help you. Right. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I tell people, look, if you're looking for a check the box partner, I can give you a list. But if you really want to move the needle, and that's when people really come to us. Often they try the check the box and they're not seeing the manifestation. The ROI is not there. And of course, I know that you're familiar, but perhaps it would be beneficial for your readers to read the Harvard Business Review article that explains why the diversity and inclusion efforts have failed. And it goes right back to what we're talking about. There's no accountability. There are no specific goals. The CEOs haven't embraced their full ownership. And actually, I'm calling, we're calling for the board to now be an integral part of the oversight, the governance. And so when companies don't make progress, the CEO needs to be held accountable. So CEOs are changing very quickly these days, right? Right. Um, And I think you're going to see more and more expectations set for organizations to use their platform for the greater good. And an example, a great example, is Procter & Gamble. They have a global footprint and they are actually using their advertising platform to reshape how people see each other across differences. I mean, it's just really very, very powerful. And without apology, the CEO says, Black lives matter. Not just, okay, all lives matter. Yes, all lives will matter when Black lives matter. Right. I love that saying. the CEO has to be willing to say that. You sent me that link to P&G's diversity videos. They are beautiful and a little jarring. And, and a bit of a gotcha at the end of one of them. And I will link to those because I think if people haven't already seen those, I think they're beautifully done and they tell a great story. They really do. They really yeah. do. They make you think, right? They do make you think. Mm-hmm. And I quite honestly, I caught myself watching them seeing myself in some of that bias. And so I think that, you know, if people will be open they'll see themselves, both the good and the bad, in those videos and just be open to that. So I want to ask you, again, given what's going on most recently, what do you have some of the most energy around right now? If you were to say, in order for this to really change, we need to help make this, whatever that is, happen. 
Well, what is that for you? Yeah, it's courageous conversations. Mm-hmm. It's it's really you know facing the truth about American history, and also acknowledging that as citizens of this great country, that we too play a role. And so you know you were so vulnerable and honest and courageous, and you said I saw some of myself. We all have something to learn, every single one of us, right? And I am charged by the fact that when you look at the data, the millennials and the Gen Zs that are coming in to the workplace now, the millennials that are there, they're asking, why haven't you solved for inclusion? Mm -hmm. Like, what is wrong with you people? (laughs) (laughs) Why haven't you done this? And they have the courage to say that I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the things that will compromise my authenticity. And so when I was coming up in corporate, you know, certainly I will be the first one to tell you, I took on an affluent white male persona. And it's part of the reason why I left corporate America. I didn't like who I had become. Mm. And now I see these younger adults saying, no, I won't compromise who I am. And if that means that I need to leave your organization, I have the courage to do that. And so that excites me a lot. I mean, a whole lot. (laughs) And because I don't think that you know, people realize you spend the, the largest percentage of your life at work. You know, why do you want to wake up every day and put a mask on and go pretend to be somebody that you're not Mm -hmm, just so mm -hmm. that you can get a paycheck? If your value is that good, then you know what? Your attitude should always be, I am choosing to give my gifts and talents and add my value and impact here. I'm not being held hostage to stay here. I'm making a choice. Well, that's one of the things that I was hoping that we would talk about today is your orientation around know your value. And for me, it's also attached to, number one, some conversations that I've recently had with some African-American women who were talking about, especially since the killings this spring, the fact that we've been in quarantine and we're about to go back to work. And now I've been awakened again And I want to go back to work and be different. Mm -hmm. I want to speak up for myself. I want to be more authentic at work now. But the flip side of that is that what is the cost going to be of being more authentic? And I think this is where you would say, know your value. Be really clear about what your value is. How is it that you would help someone in that domain realize their value? You know, there are some, I think, high value questions, as Joseph Bradley puts in his book, Questionnaire, that we should ask ourselves, okay? Why was your job created? Like, corporations don't create a job unless it's going to do something, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about driving the P&L. And then what would happen if you didn't do your job well? And then what does happen because it's you, Like, not just the job, it's you. I mean, what we bring individually, if the organizations could allow us and foster this environment of inclusivity and we could be authentic, 
man, imagine the, the ideas that would flow. The organizations talk about innovation, yet when you, you know, when you stifle people and you put them in a box and then they get scared and then they don't know their value, you're not going to have any innovation and you're sure not going to have any collaboration. You're sure not going to have all the things that people write up about how, you know, they, they want to function as a company. But this notion of knowing your value is so important and it's important for everybody, but it's especially important for women and people of color because the systems can choke you out. The bias in the systems, the systemic racism can choke you out. And so you have to be able to articulate with conviction, right? So like I'm a black female business owner, I'm subjected to bias all, all the time, right? And so I say to organizations, I realize that you can you can go and get any organization you want to. You can get the McKinsey's or Corn Ferries or Baines or you can you can buy whoever you want to buy. But if you actually want a leader who has sat in the seat, who has managed billions of dollars, teams of thousands, and has a proven track record for driving inclusion then you'll choose me and my firm. And so I don't apologize, but I had to get that courage to be like, no, this is my value. This is what I bring. And most people honestly do not know how to articulate a whole concept of what I bring to the table. And some of us have been socialized, as example, in the African-American black community. You know, we were taught, you know, keep your head down, be humble. And so that's what my, I mean, my, my brothers and sisters, even my mom got rest her soul. She used to say, you're different. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, you know, from a lot of perspectives, I am different. But I know before I found the concept of knowing my value, I didn't have my voice. Hmm. You get your voice. See, people want to go back into the workplace. And like you're saying, they want to be, I'm going to stand up for myself. Okay, you better be buttoned up. <laughs> you cannot be raggedy. Okay. <laughs> you, you can't be a C player and be loud. <laughs> you can't. You got to be an A player. And I'm certainly not suggesting that people not advocate for themselves, even if they are not performing at their best. But what I am saying to you and to the listeners that we all get a little bit more wiggle room when we got game mm -hmm. and game means producing whatever that, you know, that is defined and it's defined different ways because every organization is different. I tell you, you know, you really give yourself a gift if you pulled over and you thought about the 10 most defining moments in your life. And then out of that, you teased out what kind of competencies and skill sets that you have that are just yours. When Adam was born, our son, I found in the depth of my soul resiliency. Hmm. And I don't know that I knew that I had that. But when I really slowed down, gave myself permission to think about me and my life and how it has prepared me, I tell people, okay, put me out in the desert. With God's grace, I'm going to figure out how to get <laughs> home because I know that I have that dimension. And when yeah. you know those kinds of things, then you can express that in the workplace and then you can be rewarded for it. It's beautiful. Well, it, thing. I just so strongly heard your sense of your value. It's unshakable. 
you're very clear. And I also appreciate that it's unique for you the way that it is expressed based on your life experiences that your value gets expressed in a certain way. That's right. And your value gets expressed in a certain way too, because of your uniqueness, you are doing what you're passionate about. And I mean, you know, everybody knows, you know, public speaking is one of the biggest fears besides death, right? (laughs) But there's something in your, your experience that caused you to say, okay, I got this, you know, I can do this. And so a lot of times in corporate America, we look to other people to validate us. Uh And, you know, I I mean, accolades are nice, but when I wrote my first book called Her Corner Office, I said, look, what you have to be is your biggest fan and your loudest critic, right? You got to know inside when you're good and when you're not so good. And then you got to find ways to motivate yourself and not look for other people to give you soothing strokes. And Mm -hmm. it's nice to have that. But you got to do that for yourself. Right. And from the critic, a constructive critic, not one that just wants to beat you down, but the kind of critic that wants to make you better. That's right. That's yeah. right. And we all have, you know, the itty bitty committee right. inside that internal critic. Yeah. You got to be able to check that, quick, you know, really quick. And if you are good and you know your value, you'll be able to do that. You'll be yeah. able to remind yourself, I've been here before. I can go through this again. I yeah. come out better. And Trudy, what made me remember this whole concept of knowing your value is when you said, sometimes you have to leave the organization. Mm-hmm. And the first time I spoke with you, that's what you said. If you can't own your value and take a stand for yourself, then you really have to ask, is this the right place for me? Yeah. You will give away your power and that will cause you to shrink. You will lose your voice and that will cause you to hide. Hmm. And then you will have set yourself up for a pink slip. Hmm. See, I mean, so it's not good to stay in a place that's not healthy for you. Right. It's going to rob you of your energy. It's going to rob you of your brilliance. And then you're not going to perform and they're going to get rid of you anyway. (laughs) You might as well be at choice about it, huh? I would much rather pack my own to-go box than somebody <laughs> give me a to-go box, right? Let me pack my own to-go box, right? And so I think that it's for those people who are saying, yeah, I want to go back into corporate America now. I want to go back to my business world and I want to be more courageous. I want to be more thoughtful. I want to be bold. I say, yay, do it, do it, do it. But do it because you understand the business and you understand the value that you bring to the business and you are proud and convicted to the degree that you can talk about it. And it's not bragging. It's just talking about your value. I mean, it's a a mind shift, certainly. Well, and it's not just propping yourself up with empty words of affirmation either. When you start with why did they have this job and why are you in it and where's the proof, the words aren't empty. And I think that we know when we're speaking empty words to ourselves, oh, yeah. and sometimes those affirmations just don't work. So it has to have ground. That's this, right. You mm-hmm. know, we have to have ground there. Substance. So tr- yeah, <laughs> substance. That's right. So 
I want to ask you about something that I've been curious about. And you actually, you have a chapter in your book about courageous conversations and women. (laughs) And one of the interesting things that happened right in in the June timeframe is that I noticed on social media channels, particularly Instagram, that white celebrity women did a thing called share the mic. Were you, were you familiar with this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they handed over their mic. They went dark on their Mm -hmm. social channels and they handed it over to prominent African-American women who had really something to use your word again, substantive to say. Mm -hmm. And it, feels like in the water, in the air right now, that there's also this pull for women, women of color and white women to be arms linked in moving this conversation forward. All I have really is a feeling and kind of an awareness that we've been doing it a different way for a long time and it hasn't really worked. So Say something about that and what your feeling is about that. Well, you know, in the book, I am specifically calling on women, us, Mm -hmm. to stop pointing the finger at men and, and the lack of progress that we've made. This is not to suggest that we don't need male champions, but I am calling on us to have the courageous conversation. What is that? Well, white women have been the biggest beneficiary of affirmative action, and it has caused a divide. Now, this divide goes back, honestly, to slavery. There has been a lack of trust and a divide that we don't have enough time to unpack, but I will say this. This lack of trust is causing us not to support each other, and so we have inadvertently become a part of the problem. We're not bold enough to say, I'm going to promote that woman because she's the best, or I'm going to, I'm going to open the door for that woman because she deserves it. We're not that bold. You know, in the book, you, you know, this is like one of my favorite stories is the Marilyn Monroe and the Ella Fitzgerald story. It's just so wonderful because Marilyn Monroe did what you were just talking about. She was the one who said to the cabaret owners, Ella Fitzgerald is great. And they were like, Yeah, she might be great, but she's black. And so then Marilyn, recognizing her power and her willingness then to use that power and to use her equity, she says, look, I'm not going to sing if she can't sing. Well, of course, they couldn't do without Marilyn, right? And then she went even farther to really serve Ella as a sponsor. She said, I will be here. I will be in the front row. I'm telling you, I have this person's back. And of course, this is how Ella Fitzgerald's, you know, wonderful, illustrious global career took hold. But it was because a white woman recognized a word that we don't like to talk about, privilege. We don't like to talk about white privilege. And so I am calling on us as women to have that dialogue. I think history shows us when we come together and we do lock arms, Heck, that's the way we got the right to vote. That was just 100 years ago, by the way. It wasn't like it was exactly years ago. Yes. Right? And so I just think that, that we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard of accountability. And to do that, we've got to sit down and look each other in the eye. And we've got to understand that 
we're not on equal playing field. Mm -hmm. That's not to say, you know, you haven't had your experiences of inequities as you shared earlier as a white female, but you don't have to experience what a black female or a brown female or a woman of color experiences. You can go to any store you want to, and nobody's going to look at you and stand next to you like you're going to steal something. You can walk into the boardroom and maybe there'll be at least one other. For us, we're the only. Mm-hmm. And, and we need white women to understand that. And we need to help them understand they have power. They haven't learned how to speak truth to power yet. But I think collectively, if we came together, we can help each other and we can help this world. I just really think that right now, women supporting women is so underrated and undervalued. I just want to scream it from the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I asked you what questions, you know, how do you get started? And one of the things that you pointed me to was, again, this book that you've written, your most recent one, has questions at the back of every chapter. So I started looking through the questions and I'm like, can I imagine myself in a group of women talking about this? And I said, yes. So I have a walking partner here in the neighborhood. And I said this, if I called a group of women together, would you join me? And she started asking some really good questions that I think are important to know the answer to, which is, what's the commitment? How long could I come in and out? Or is this something that I need to make a commitment to? My feeling is that, no, you can't come in and out. That we make this commitment to each other and that it's for X period of time, and it's this is our meeting schedule. And if we want to really get at the bottom of some of this and really learn to support each other, we can't come in and out of these conversations. We have to stick with it, and we have to be willing for it to get messy and get our feelings hurt and potentially hurt someone else's feelings. Oh, yeah. And that, but commit that we're going to come back. And so those are some first feelings or thoughts that I had about this. And I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on it as well. First of all, I'm so impressed and so proud of you (laughs) for, you know, having the courage to say, okay, I see I'm awake now. I know that I've got to take some action, right? And it's not just making the commitment that you can't go in and out of the conversations. It's making a lifetime commitment to being a part of the solution. Hmm. You know, one of my favorite parts about John Lewis, and, you know, he comes to mind because of his recent passing, you know, if you see something, you got to say something, you got to do something, you know, and if we all adopted that kind of philosophy, George Floyd would be alive. Hmm. He would be alive. Hmm. Other people would be alive. This is not this, you know, oh, gee, this meaningless conversation. No, we're going to shape the generations of people in our families and in our extended families for years to come. We have to get into this game and we we have to stay there if we are ever going to be the country that we say where all men are created equal and have every equal opportunity. And so I just really appeal to anybody and everybody. You know, sometimes my husband gets really irritated with me. He's like, must you say something again? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I can't help it. I mean, it's like you will get so convicted, Liam, that you'll be in a restaurant and you'll see bias happening and you'll be like, oh, excuse me. 
did you just mistreat that person? Like it will just, it will just happen. It'll just come mm. out of your body because it'll be who you are. And I can imagine that it happens in the same way that we were just talking about owning your value. When you own your values, if I feel that this is a core value of mine and I have a vision for the future that I want to be a part of and that I want to see for my grandchildren and their grandchildren, then that's the through line for me, owning that that's important to me now for who I am today and for what I want in the future. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Let's end it here. <laughs> okay. Well, I've enjoyed being with you, Leanne. Thank you for thank your you for your commitment, for your courage, and may God continue to richly bless you. And may we continue the dialogue. And, Absolutely. And continue to get messy. <laughs> yep, yep. So, Trudy, I will put links to you and your organization in the show notes. Is there anything that you want? the listeners to know about, know that's coming up, anything at all that I can add to that to continue to enrich this conversation? Yeah, so I'm working on my, my fifth book. I've just started and the tentative title is The Defining Moment. And it really is about knowing yourself, choosing yourself, empowering yourself, and sharing yourself. Mm. And I think it's time for us as women, this will, will be skewed again towards women. I think it's time for us to come into our own. I mean, just oh, whatever <laughs> you have ever dreamt in your heart and you've never been willing to share it before, I hope to give people a roadmap to find their their voice, but more importantly, because I've talked about finding their voice, I want to convince people to use their voice. So that's my next chapter. That's my next, you know, whatever. And we'll just continue to drive innovation around diversity and inclusion. You know, as I said, we don't do the check the box stuff. We bring managers, white male, white female managers together for a shared learning experience with their underrepresented minority. And it gets messy. But at the end, People's lives are transformed. So I'm grateful my organization's being used as hard as the work is. I'm really grateful. It's very satisfying when you see someone go from, I don't like you, I can't like you, to, wow, you could be my best friend. Hmm. Yeah, you're so coherent. And I'm so glad that you're doing the work that you're doing. You're just alive with it. And thank, thank you. you. Thank so you much. so much. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Good on you, girl. Good on you, Thank girl. you. If you like what you heard today and the direction this podcast is pointed, subscribe to Rice Leaders Radio on iTunes leave us a comment and a five-star rating. You can also check out the Rise Leaders website at www.rise-leaders.com to find the resources I pull from in my coaching and consulting work and that I find central to transformative leadership. If you're committed to leading with a clear vision and from core values and taking your team to the next level, then get in touch. You can reach me, Leanne Mallory, from my website. I'd be honored to hear from you. I appreciate you tuning in today and especially for being the type of person interested in learning more about how you can elevate your part of the world. Take good care. 